When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll recap the draft, discuss the state of the Pacers, and look ahead to free agency, where the Pacers don't have a lot of wiggle room, but they may bring an elite player back home. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Hi again, everybody. I'm Scott Agnes, and today, this episode will be solo. Generally, they're not my favorite, right? You want multiple voices. You want a conversation. But there is so much going on in Pacers land that I want to catch you up on what's been going on and look ahead to free agency and the upcoming season. It's been very busy for the Pacers over this last month. Of course, they hired Nate Bjorkren as the head coach interviewed and hired his top assistants, Caleb Canales, Greg Foster, and then, of course, Bill Baino, as expected, was brought back. They've had to continue preparing for the draft, and scouts I talked with just continued to joke how this was the most overanalyzed draft probably in history because they've had more than a year at least to spend on these draft hopefuls because right when the previous draft ends, they begin getting a jump on next year, and it's not just a one-year process. They're watching players over a period of time, but that's really when they start creating their draft board and their top 100 list, et cetera, and planning ahead to what the next year has in store. And, of course, this year, what usually is a late June draft became a late November draft, five months later. And then two days later, here we are. I'm recording this hours before the start of free agency, and teams have to get right into it. I do also want to note how the Pacers are bringing Calvert Chaney on as an assistant coach, and my understanding is that he'll likely be behind the bench in a role that Kevin Pritchard in the front office also considered Danny Manning for, one of his former teammates. But what I was told a sticking point on all that was a guy like Danny Manning, he wanted to be on the bench. It was a non-starter for him to be behind the bench. So it appears he'll be going the broadcasting route, and Calvert Chaney returning to Indiana after a couple years with the G League team for the Atlanta Hawks, the Erie Bayhawks. And remember, he spent a couple years at Indiana as their director of basketball operations, and two of his years overlapped with Victor Oladipo's three years in Bloomington. So there's an obvious connection there and a pre-existing relationship, and that should be good. Positive energy and vibes for a guy like Victor and that Pacers roster and I think Calbert brings a wealth of experience he obviously played in the NBA for a decade and is welcomed back to where he dominated down in Bloomington remains the Big Ten all-time leading scorer on draft night pretty boring draft overall right the top three picks went as we expected Anthony Edwards a Tom Crean guy from Georgia going number one followed by James Wiseman and then LaMelo Ball to the Charlotte Hornets. And if you were a Pacers fan, you're probably a little bit bored. You had to wait four hours, literally four hours, for them to make their selection at number 54. Their first-round pick was dealt to the Milwaukee Bucks more than a year ago in that sign-and-trade deal for Malcolm Brogdon. So Pacers only had one selection at 54, and they took a flyer on 
Cassius Stanley, a one-and-done player, despite being 21 years old. He turned 21 here this fall. One-and-done at Duke. Outstanding potential, outstanding athleticism, but we don't know if he will ever contribute. You're taking a flyer on a guy, and that's basically what the tier is in that second round generally. You're hoping the player can crack the roster for several years and potentially become a rotational guy. Those top picks, the lottery picks, you're hoping can become an all-star. The rest of the first round, you really hit on a player if they are a starter. And then that second round again is if they can make the rotation. And so the Pacers could opt to sign him on a two-way contract, previously held by Brian Bowen, previously held by Nazmi True Long, or they could sign him to a multi-year deal, maybe with the first-year guarantee and two other years that are in favor of the team. I'll be curious to see how teams throughout the league handle these two-way contracts. They get two of them. We don't know what the season looks like in terms of the G League. We still aren't positive what things look like completely for the NBA season. But will teams use their two-way contracts as a development route, investing in a kid, giving him opportunities, growing and developing him? Or will they lean towards an extra body, an extra player that can come in and say if another guy gets COVID or if there's injuries? It's a very different year, so I could see teams going both routes there. But back to the draft, and I wasn't a big fan of the coverage. I understand where ESPN is telling stories. The NBA is trying to introduce these new players to a whole new audience and, and tell their story a little bit. And I'm fine with that. But at the same time, I don't think you can ignore obvious storylines or breaking news that happens um, throughout the league. Right away, there's the Clay Thompson news, right, and how it impacts the Golden State Warriors. It was feared immediately, and they knew this, that it probably was an Achilles tear. We didn't know that till the following day for sure after an MRI, but that was what was feared. There should have been a full discussion about what it means for Clay and what it means for the Warriors because for the Warriors, it means the dynasty's probably over. Clay hasn't played now in a couple seasons, including this upcoming one. And after those dominant years, this is a different kind of development here, and especially when you consider the Warriors opened a brand-new arena, the Chase Center, where they didn't get a play a full season at because last year was cut short. This year, who knows if there's even fans there, and now they're willing to pay even more into the luxury tax. I would have loved to see more of Brian Windhorst, Ramona Shelburne, Zach Lowe, the guys to talk about the basketball implications, the personalities behind the other franchises. Um, in the middle of the draft, you had Ricky Rubio, returning back to Minnesota, why that made sense, why he has such an affinity for the Timberwolves, and things like that. I would have preferred more of that rather than a basic interview or a discussion from some of the college guys about what they did last year. I think those are conversations you can have in the days and weeks to come, but I don't want to ignore those key storylines that went on. Another one, obviously, that jumps out is the Bucks. And having a deal in place for Drew Holiday, and then another deal that crapped out with Bogdan Bogdanovich, and that's a whole different podcast. I mean, I could probably go an hour on that situation, what went wrong, and is it necessary for the NBA to look into this? Because you're talking about two small market teams. We want to see them succeed. We want to see a player like Giannis stay there, and now maybe this has some implications. I saw where Mark Spears reported Miles Turner was there in that gym when Thompson suffered the Achilles tear, which explains why he tweeted the following. Bro was looking unbelievable, too. Shake my head. Speedy recovery, bro. The game needs you. Yeah. 
Clay Thompson's a likable guy and one of the best shooters we've ever seen. And it wasn't surprising that Turner was in that gym because Miles has been out in the Santa Barbara, Los Angeles area for the last month, maybe two, training and working out. Because remember, he signed with a new agent almost a year ago. And that's where many of players with that agency hang out, work out in the summer. So it's definitely a different workout plan, whereas normally he's back home in Dallas. He's doing his yoga and daily workouts in that hot weather. Now he's out in L.A., kind of the central hub for NBA players during the offseason. When the Pacers were finally on the clock at 54, they used that pick on Cassius Stanley. And talking to him about an hour and a half later, very calm and collected guy. My first impression was that he fits this organization. He, a day later, penned a story on the Players' Tribune where he made clear that he got all of his athleticism from his mother, not his dad. He said his mother was an insane athlete and shared how she was a heptathlete. And I was familiar previously with his dad, Jerome. Jerome's an agent. He represented Brian Shaw. Remember the Pacers' former associate head coach under Frank Vogel? He went to Denver, I think, for about a year and a half. Anyways, Cassius, over the last few days, has gone deep into the archives and found himself playing in a Pacers t-shirt. There's another one with a former face of the Pacers. That's Paul George. So he's been to Banker's Life Fieldhouse, and Shaw's the obvious connection there. And Cassius Stanley coming from a great system and coach at Duke with Coach K. Before that, he was playing for a dominant team out in Los Angeles in Sierra Canyon. You're probably familiar with that because that's where LeBron James's oldest son plays basketball. So he's a California kid. He has a relationship and is mentored by Russell Westbrook, who was even at his draft party that night and left just before he jumped on a Zoom call with some of us local reporters at about 1.15 a.m., which became Thursday morning. I like the pick. Um, again, it's just a flyer. A lot of athleticism. I immediately thought of Gerald Green, of Edmund Sumner. He adds that athleticism, an element the Pacers have kind of lacked. They have smart players. They have some shooters. What they really could use is more speed and more athleticism. That's certainly Stanley, but can he put it all together and how soon? is what we'll find out. As we prepare for free agency, here's what you got to know. First of all, the Pacers already have 12 players under contract, and that doesn't even include Cassius Stanley. And Chad Buchanan, on our call after the draft, highlighted their desire to have continuity, which is kind of funny to me because it's something they have not had at all over these last two or three years since Kevin Pritchard came aboard. And in fact, now they don't have it within the coaching staff, even though that was something they had talked about leading up to this offseason. They moved on from Nate McMillan, brought in Nate Bjorkren. You have almost an entire new coaching staff. Good news is the training staff is brought back. They're going to need a couple new video coordinators, and they have to do a better job of developing players. I don't exactly include Victor and Domas in that category because part of why they have blossomed is because they're used more. They're used differently, and because of that, they've been able to thrive. It's not as if they spent hours and hours in the gym with an assistant coach and developed different aspects of their game. An opportunity led to each one of those guys thriving. But you look down the roster, TJ Leaf, the Pacers would like to move on from him. Aaron Holiday, still to be determined, two years in. I know he has great value around the league. I'd like to see what he could do this upcoming year. You go back even before that. George Niang, they drafted second round. Didn't do much here. They moved on from. He found value. In Utah, Edmund Sumner to be determined still, although so much of his career has been bothered by injuries. 
um, and down the line. I think you really have to go back to a successful draft outside of Miles Turner in 2015 all the way to 2010 when you had both Paul George as well as Lance Stevenson. And again, more than anything, it was opportunity, especially with Lance Stevenson. So player development has to be key here. They need to be like Toronto, hit on guys, maximize what they're able to provide, and you want to see those guys succeed. You want to be able to pay them in a free agent contract. That's a success, and they haven't hit on guys here in recent history. Part of that's probably who they selected, and another part of that is how they have and have not worked to develop guys and give them opportunities in games. But again, Pacers have 12 players already under contract, You can have a maximum of 15 during the season. They can carry 20 players to training camp. And I feel bad for these players like Cassius Stanley, still like Gogo Bataze. Another season where he does not have a summer league. And that would have been incredibly beneficial for a guy like Goga, who still needs to face more NBA competition and just get those reps. Now he's back in Indy and has been training, but that's something he missed out on yet again. I reported Thursday morning how the Pacers had agreed to an Exhibit 10 deal with Rayshon Hammonds out of Georgia. He's a 6'9 forward. He's a left-hander. He has some range. He trains some in Indy, majority of the time out in Arizona. So that's one more guy on the Pacers roster heading into training camp, which will begin individually, I think, about December 1st. And then they're talking about teams can start practicing as a group a few days later, maybe December 5th or so. They can play 3-4 to four preseason games from December 11th to 19th, and then the season gets underway December 22nd. As for free agency, not a lot of talk around the league about Victor Oladipo. It's very much with teams being in wait-and-see mode. They also realize he's in a contract year, and so he's due $21 million this year, and they don't know what's to come next year. They know Victor wants to get paid. They know he wants to be in a winning situation, but the Big elephant in the room is what is he going to look like? Is he going to return to an all-star level? Can he lead a team once again? And it just seems like everything in his world has just become cloudy. What happened to the Victor Oladipo Pacer fans and basketball fans across the state wanted to hug and embrace and be their guy? What happened to this is my city, Victor Oladipo? What happened to the feathery Victor Oladipo? Instead, it's like he's put on a mask and... There's my reference to the mass Singer. But it's a different human. It's a different guy. Um, and it's something the Pacers have had to come to grips with and have tried to understand him a little bit and are continuing to do so. And I think that's the case throughout the league. I don't expect at this point for the Pacers to trade him before the year. I think he's going to have to start the season with the team. And then we'll go from there because he needs to show the team in the league, what he can do and what he has left. He's at an age where he'd like to sign that last monster deal of his career, upwards of more than $100 million. But here's the thing, and I think I've touched on this on previous episodes, but if I'm Victor, you have to seriously consider signing a contract extension before the season. I don't know what the Pacers are willing to offer at this point. Certainly, I don't think it is the max. But if I'm Victor and his agent, I'm at least broaching the topic. I'm at least having those conversations with Kevin Pritchard in the front office because you look at Clay Thompson, he has stability. He had just signed a brand new contract. What if something further happens? And you don't wish that upon anyone, of course, but you have to weigh your options. And if you're Victor, maybe you don't get back to the player you were. Maybe you aren't able to get the money or maybe that type of money isn't out there as much as you thought it was. Some of the options that we thought would be there 
maybe he's in the third tier now rather than the first option or a second option. If, say, Giannis didn't go to Miami, maybe he'd be the next guy. That does not seem to be the case anymore. So that's something else to keep in mind. The big free agent, I've stressed this, I think, for two weeks now, is Gordon Hayward. He's a player the Pacers, I know, are very interested in. Hayward used to spend the summers in San Diego, but now with a growing family, he sold that house, he bought a home on the north side of Indy, and that's where he spent this offseason. I'm told he's very interested in the idea of staying home and playing for the Pacers, but it's a complicated situation. It would obviously have to be a sign-and-trade with the Celtics. It was three summers ago where Gordon Hayward signed with the Boston Celtics in free agency, and then he unfortunately got injured in the very first game. An unlucky injury. That was in Cleveland. And that opened the door for more playing time for young stars like Jason Tatum, who's due to sign an extension, by the way, soon. And Jalen Brown, and both of them have blossomed. They have since brought in Kimball Walker. Marcus Smart has played well. And he went thinking he would probably be the top guy in Boston, maybe the number two, to now what, four, five? Because remember, he signed before Kyrie did. Now he's utilized as an option. And still, he had a very productive and efficient last season despite his uses rate continuing to be lower than it was in his final five seasons in Utah. To get Hayward, a sign-and-trade is necessary, and the deal must include Miles Turner. Uh, One question I got on social media was, can this deal be done without including him? And no, I don't see any way possible because the Pacers' balance sheet would be too top-heavy, and again, they'd still have two centers at the top. And so to get off of one of those centers may be helpful for this team moving forward. And to add a guy like Gordon Hayward, that would open up the playbook a little bit. It would fill a need because he's a type of guy that the Pacers do not have, a good defender, a wing, a shooter, a guy that can pass to others. He was the best passer on the Celtics. And with Miles Turner, he fills an obvious need for the Celtics. But if I'm the Pacers, Here's one thing I'm making the Celtics do to try to execute this deal. Take T.J. Leaf back. They've been trying to move on from T.J. Leaf for more than a year. He's owed $4.3 million this year because they picked up the option on his rookie deal. And the Celtics risk losing Hayward for nothing. So there's leverage both ways, right? I know they'd have to be dealing with Danny Ainge, which is never easy and oftentimes a losing situation. But if Gordon does choose to move on, the Celtics would get some of his cap space back, but not his full value. If they took on a deal like with the Pacers, which is an option, I think, they'd be able to get a potential all-star in Miles Turner. He's a guy that fills their need at the center position, and on top of that, maybe they'd get another piece. Maybe it'd be Aaron Holiday. For the Pacers, it helps them as well, because they have very little cap space, so they couldn't sign anyone close to Hayward's caliber in free agency and had have a difficult time signing someone like Hayward anyway because that's not the market that traditionally that they've been able to succeed in. We all expect for Anthony Davis to re-sign with the Lakers, which means Gordon Hayward's the top free agent to hit the market. He could re-sign a long-term deal and then be dealt ideally to the Pacers, I think, for him. It's complicated. It would take some honest negotiation, but that's something to track here in the next couple of days. Otherwise, looking down at the Pacers' options, T.J. McConnell is brought back. They guaranteed his contract, and so the Pacers have about $125 million on their books for this upcoming season. That's over the salary cap, but slightly below 
the luxury tax. And Justin Holiday is one strong candidate. He earned $4.7 million last year. I think he mostly enjoyed his time with the Pacers. He really enjoyed playing with his youngest brother, Aaron Holiday, for the first time. I know he would prefer a multi-year contract. That was before the pandemic. He'll have several suitors, and I think the Pacers are atop that list. We'll see if the Pacers can get a deal done with him in short order, and then they really don't have much flexibility beyond that. They'll want to fill out the roster. A guy like Jakar Sampson could be an option, maybe bringing back Alizé Johnson or potentially another powered forward would make a lot of sense. But again, Chad Buchanan and the Pacers stressing continuity. We'll see if they follow through with that. Free agency officially begins at 6 p.m. on Friday, and there will be deals league-wide that are quickly agreed to despite the tampering rules. Conversations have been happening here for weeks. Deals are being put into place, and players cannot sign those deals, though, to then become official to the point where teams announce them until 12.01 Eastern time on Sunday. Now to wrap up this episode, this free agency preview, I wanted to answer some questions from Twitter. Dylan asked, and I kind of answered it earlier, can the Pacers get Hayward without trading away a key piece? No, the Celtics are going to want someone significant. That someone, I believe, is Miles Turner. He also asks, maybe Gordon could sign for three years, $45 million. He says that would be an all-in move to compete for a chip. Um, multiply that money figure by two at least there, Dylan. That's not even close to <laughs> Gordon Hayward's market value and what he'll be able to get. Adam says, great stuff. Scott would like to know if the market for Oladipo is as bare as Windhorse suggests and how serious the team is for Turner for Hayward. So, yes, you have been listening on the the last part. That is good. Much like I said earlier as well, yeah, not much of a market just yet as executives and teams want to see what Oladipo has to offer. And at the same time, maybe the relationship with the Pacers deteriorates and other teams are able to take advantage. We'll see with that. And then also, I believe the Pacers could be very serious about Turner for Hayward and it would have to include a couple other pieces, of course, as well. It would be a sign-and-trade. No, it would not be at that $34 million level. Expect that number to reduce some because you'd give him a long-term deal, and that would make a trade possible, right? Say it's $25 million. Maybe it's $27 million. Then all you have to send out is in that ballpark. So it could be Miles Turner, TJ Leaf, and one other piece. It takes two to tango. And Danny Ainge isn't the easiest to deal with. Usually, if Danny Ainge calls the joke around the league is you hang up immediately. Slick Smiths say that three times fast. Asked, do you think Steve Simon has taken over the decision-making of the team? No, I do not believe that is the case. However, he has taken on a much larger role about 10 years ago. He's the alternate NBA governor, which means if his dad, Herb Simon, can't make it to a league meeting, etc., Steve can be there and represent them. I know he's leading a new social justice equality committee that was formed throughout the Pacers franchise. And also Rachel Simon is a part of that as well. Um, And so he is taking on a larger role, but no, he has not taken over the decision-making for the team. Ryan Farrell asked, does the fact none of Oladipo's teammates spoke out against the J. Michael story about Oladipo asking to join other teams shows they don't want him around? No, I don't think that's the case. For one, if I'm a player, I'm staying out of someone else's business here. Um, I'm wishing them happy birthday, welcome to the team, themes like that. But in other cases, you're just staying out of it. That's where you're 
agent is advising you. The only case where I would speak out is if you really want to back up your teammate and you know for it to be false. That'd be the one instance where it is of value to speak out. Just think about how many of them welcomed Nate Bjorkren to the team. I think I can think of a couple. I think Vic did. I think Miles did. Miles was the first one to do so, but that was about it. So if a player doesn't say things and tweet out or post on Instagram in the high moments, really wouldn't expect them to say something um, in a public forum on the negative side. Also, Ryan wants to know, if you were Kevin Pritchard, what moves would you make? What do you think the path is for the Pacers to be relevant, a contender again? I think you have to do something with the front court. I think probably moving Miles Turner again makes the most sense. If I can do that Gordon Hayward deal, I'm trying to make that one work. Outside of that, you really just don't have too much you can do right now. I think the writing is on the wall that Victor will be dealt. It's probably best for both parties at this time, but not to do so at the very moment because his his value isn't very high. Outside of that, this is a strange year. So I would get through this year in a new coaching staff and figure out where you're at because, if anything, this is the year that is beyond difficult, much more so than this last season that was finished up in Orlando in a bubble away from families. This seems to be to be a more difficult season. If they're going to travel around, if there's some fans at some games, if other locations never have any fans, this is a season where I don't think you experiment too much. You bring back what you had last year. Malcolm Brogdon hopefully stays healthy. Jeremy Lamb, they have high hopes for him to return in December, January. He has not had any setbacks, just like Victor Oladipo did not have any setbacks. And you see exactly what you have. You figure out what this core can do as a group. We haven't seen Malcolm and Victor spend a lot of time playing together in the backcourt. How will TJ Warren perform this upcoming year when he is highlighted in yellow on the scouting report after the tremendous job he did down at the bubble. And again, to go back to the point, they want to figure out what they have and build off that continuity, which I think is going to be extra important in a season like this. All right, that will wrap up this episode of the Fieldhouse Files. There's so much more I could talk about, but I do want to keep this to a condensed podcast that you guys can get to leading up to and maybe at the heart of the start of free agency. Upcoming episodes, I'll have Jason Buckner, a former Pacer scout who has moved on to the Detroit Pistons. You'll hear from Joe Young. I know I've promised that one. I've wanted to hold that and not publish it when there's so much news going on. So Joe Young as well as an outstanding conversation with former Pacer Orlando Johnson. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Fieldhouse Files wherever you listen to your podcast, and you can listen to both new and archived episodes. Take a minute to leave a review. That would mean a lot to me, and I'll talk to you again here probably very soon. 